The scripture reading comes from 1 Kings chapter 3. We'll continue from verse 16. So this is right after Solomon had a dream and God asked what whatever you ask I will give to you and he asked not for uh, wealth not for the life of his enemy but for discernment wisdom of God so after that right away the verse 16 now two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him and one woman said oh my lord this woman and I dwell in the same house and I gave birth while she was in the house then it happened the third day after I gave I had given birth that this woman also gave birth and we were together no one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house and this woman's son died in the night because he lay she lay on him so she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I, when I rose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was, dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed he was not my son who, whom I had born. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son but the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, The one says, This is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. The other says, No, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to one, and half to the other. Then the woman who, whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son. And she said, O oh my lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. And the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. So far, reading the living word of God. We will go to... The Harabi Catechism, Lord's Day, 19. You can find the page 8, 880. Talking about uh, sitting at the right hand of God and then he will come to judge the living and the dead. Question answer 50. Why the next words and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended to heaven there to show that he is head of his church, the one through whom the Father governs all things. How does this glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, through his Holy Spirit he pours out gifts from heaven upon his members. Second, by his power he defends us and preserves us 
from all enemies. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? In all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. Beloved in the Lord, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord Jesus Christ he was conceived by the Holy Spirit uh, and he was persecuted. If I borrow the language of the, the Heidelberg Catechism, he suffered, he died, he rose on the third day, and he ascended, he ascended into, in heaven, and he is sitting at the right hand of God, and then he will return. That's what we confess in the Creed. Looking at two different locations, his first coming to this world and his second coming into this world, there will be huge difference between those two occasions. When he came into this world for the first time, he came as a little infant. He came to serve, not to be served. He came in the form of servant, humbled himself to the point of death. And then John said in John 3.17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So that's what happened 2,000 years ago. He came not as a judge, but to be judged. That's what the Catechism uh, is trying to say by summarizing the truth in the, in the creed that he, this judge, will come as a second time. He will become as a judge, but first time he came to be judged. Now, when he comes again, he will come as a judge. So Catechism explains, I confidently wait the judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and remove, remove the whole curse from me. He came as an infant, but when he comes again, he will come as a fearful yet righteous judge. Now speaking of judge, being a judge is an extremely hard job. Judges have to render judgment to bring justice. It requires discernment and wisdom. The first judge mentioned in the Old Testament is God himself, Genesis 18.25. And then Moses, he judged all over Israel. Then he was almost burned out. So he got 70 elders uh, to judge under Moses, Exodus 18. Later, the power of judgment passed on to the kings. People would come to the king with petition, and then king would render a judgment after hearing their case. As I said, being a judge is both, both extremely hard and extremely important. 
First of all, it can be easily abused. A corrupt judge can take bribery and gifts to pervert justice. And in the history of the Old Testament, some people abuse the power of judgment to gain political power. Think about Absalom. He's a good example. First, Second Samuel 15. His son, David's son Absalom, made himself judge, giving favorable judgment toward those who came to him. He kissed the people and then, my brother, tell me what you need. And he gave favorable judgment. In that way, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And if you are a victim of a corrupt judge, the pain and the frustration that you feel is beyond description. Didn't Jesus warn us in Matthew 5.25, in this depraved world, because the world hate Christ, your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the officers, that you be thrown into prison. And that happened many times in the New Testament. That still happens today. The apostles were thrown into prison. Many faithful people and missionaries were thrown into prison in a foreign land. And then Catechism again explains that knowing that he will return as faithful judge, just judge, I confidently wait that this very judge who suffered from injustices will come to remove the whole, he, he removed whole curse from me and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Christ who was innocent yet persecuted, who endured all the frustrations and injustices of Sanhedrin council, the council, uh, he, they, wanted, they were afraid of people. Uh, they were, they, uh, of course, they were responsible for uh, crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, but even before that, they were afraid of people. They persecuted God's people, uh, prophets, even. So for our sake, uh, to remove the whole, whole curse from me, he who knows very well what it's like to be persecuted, he will come as a judge to make me and his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. So that is the, the summary of uh, the catechism. Now that judgment, how is God going to judge? In what way? Well, we can see some glimpse of that picture, there's a little bit of picture of that in the first Kings 3. When the wisdom of God came to Solomon, what did he do? So that, what, that's what we are going to learn today. The wisdom of God was revealed through the king's judgment. First, there was a problem, difficult dilemma, and king gives a simple solution. And then, in the story, we see God's justice and mercy. So, first Kings 3. The beginning says in verse 16 says now two women who were howlets came to the king uh, our English translation other English translations like um, ESV and NIV says uh, then our says now which is good translation uh, other translation says then two prostitutes came to the king in the original Hebrew, it literally says, at that time. 
at the time. So, so we have to see what happened right before that happened. So at the time, what time was it? What was the context as we saw this morning? Uh, it was when Solomon received God's wisdom. God appeared to Solomon, asked, what shall I give you? He humbled himself. I'm a little child. And he expressed his dependence on the Lord. Not on his own knowledge or his own strength, but in the Lord's wisdom, he wishes to uh, govern or minister the kingdom. And the Lord gave him wisdom. You know, uh, when someone is in a place like a king, it's not very easy to show humility. If someone is in that position like that, it is very hard to recognize his inability. It's very easy to be blind when someone criticizes, says, what do you mean? What do you mean? Right? What do you mean that we are doing something wrong? Right? That's, that's what usually happens. But Solomon showed his, his humility and reverence to the Lord. Then the Lord gave wisdom. So it is true when Solomon said in other place, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. Fear. Not arrogance, but humility is the beginning of the wisdom. So when Solomon began to rule Israel with God's wisdom, that is when, then, at the time, that's when the prostitutes came. Now this wisdom that God has given was put to test. Now two women who were harlots came to the king. Harlots, harlots, prostitutes, women who sell their bodies to earn wages. Ethically speaking, it's not a pleasant occupation. Biblically speaking, it's abomination in the eyes of the Lord. And why did they come? It was a legal dispute over the custody of a child. And the, the Bible allows these two women to speak their own story in their words. So that's what we are going to uh, do. Just going to read as it is. Verse 17, one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman I dwell in the same house. I gave a birth while she was in the house. Third day, he, she gave a birth. And we were together. And a key here. No one was with us. In the house, except except two of us in the house. So, so that's interesting. Okay? So there were no witnesses, which makes this very case very very difficult. No witnesses. So, verse twenty-two. The other woman said, "Well, so they're cl they're claiming that the living son is, you know, mine." Verse 19, this woman's son died in last night because she laid on him. She switched my, her son with my son. And then the other woman said, no, that's a lie. The dead one is yours and the living one is, is my son. And there's a quarrel between those two women. So these women, the first woman, came to the king and described the scene of sinful Life, very ugly picture. It's kind of story that once you hear, you will never forget. Testimony 
Her testimony takes all of us into said house, but if you think about it, it's a, it's a whorehouse. You know, in a big city, there's a, there's a place that you shouldn't go called Red Light District. So this woman's story takes us to the uh, pitiful and yet sinful life of the Red Light District in Jerusalem. You may think, wow, that's, uh, that's kind of a very awkward description, but that's how that is. There was there was a prostitute in Jerusalem. So one night when there was no visitors, no witnesses, that those things happened. Following morning, she picked up her son to feed her, and her son was not sucking her breast. She was shocked, realizing that the child was cold and dead. And she looked at, she was shocked. She looked at the baby a little closely and realized the baby was not hers. Suspecting that during the night, the other woman, woman carelessly rolled over on the top of her baby. What an awful accident if you think about it, right? And maybe probably out of bitterness and Perhaps out of jealousy, she secretly switched the baby, taking the living child to her own uh, bosom and giving the dead one to the other woman who was still sleeping. Now, now after hearing that, you say, wow, that's very depressing. And it is very depressing. And right here, we can extend our sympathy to the mother uh, whose child passed away. Again, what an awful accident. And then surely we can also extend our sympathy to the woman whose child was stolen. Another awful incident. Never should happen. We also extend our sympathy to the king who's hearing this story and he has to render judgment. I mean, I mean, there's no witness. How can you possibly solve this case? Parents know, they can, and they can sympathize with King Solomon because they have seen a similar thing with their little children arguing each other. Sometimes it is hard to make the right judgment. I grabbed the toy first. No, I did first. And they fight each other. And then you haven't seen, there was no witness, you haven't seen what happened, and you have to make a judgment. Teachers have this trouble at school when two students get into fight. Pastors find it very hard to discern the truth when there are conflicting statements. So there are many times when it seems the only person who can really solve this problem is God himself. This case of two prostitutes Indeed, can only be solved by God Himself. Previously in, in his stream, Solomon kind of confessed, Who is so able to judge this great people of yours? Verse 9, the rhetorical question, answer is, No one except you. Now, no one other than God Himself. So is God with Solomon that can Solomon discern what is right and what is wrong? We are going to go to the second point. A king's simple solution. 
So if you're in the shoes of Solomon, what would you say? What would you say? Well, it's easy for us to say. We can just imitate what Solomon did. Bring me the sword. Divide, right? But let's imagine that we didn't have, we didn't, haven't read this story. Sometimes parents are tempted to use a Solomon's um, method to solve the problem in, in the household. When kids are when kids are fighting over a toy, you say, bring me a sword, let me divide the toy. That might work in a, in a sense, but not in this case. Reminding you that this is a living child. Solomon summarizes that this dilemma, again, verse 23, one says, this is my son. The other says, no, that one is yours. My son is the living one. Which one is telling the truth? Can you flip a coin? No. This is life and death matter. And this is child custody of a child. It's very important. And then he gives a solution. Bring me a sword, he said. Bring me a sword. As soon as he said those words, you can imagine the people in the court, his servants, his guards, spectators, and the prostitutes, they were so surprised and stunned by king's command. What is he going to do with the sword? They wondered. And he's, he gives command right away. Divide the living child into give half to one, give the other one, give the other half to the other. What? People thought. People in the court must have, have looked at Solomon with absolute astonishment. The king is mad. He burnt, he gave thousands of burnt offerings, and he's gone mad, they may have thought. Any person with common sense would be very afraid, of course, to even bring a sword near to the child. Everyone, almost everyone had the same thought. Almost everyone was afraid, except one woman. You see, Solomon never intended to kill the baby, but his decree, though it may sound terrible, achieves its desired purpose, which is to discern the hearts of the women. How fitting it is that the Holy Spirit uses the same imagery of double-edged sword to describe the Word of God. For the Word of God is the living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And that is about to happen as the Spirit of God, as the wisdom of God came to Solomon, the wisdom of God spoke and the double-edged sword is about to discern the hearts of the prostitutes. Every intent of their hearts. So right away, verse 26. After the king commanded the woman, the woman whose son was living spoke to the king. She yearned with compassion for her son which means her heart was burning with compassion. She was urgent. 
her true mother instinct took over. She said, Oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. If you must give the child to my adversary, if that would save his life. On the other hand, the other woman had a very different response. Callous, heartless. Why? The first woman was driven by compassion, but the second woman is driven by jealousy. Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him, which means kill him. It sounds good. He's not going to be mine. He's not going to be yours. The hearts of the both women were revealed. Now Solomon had everything that he needed to solve this dilemma. Although there was no witness, one of the women were the witness of the crime because she herself did all the evil thing. And the wisdom of God revealed her heart. Give the first woman the living child, he said. By no means kill him. She is his mother. Simple solution to a different, uh, difficult dilemma. What a brilliant insight, you think. Wise discernment. Simple test. Made the women to reveal their hearts. And as they witnessed the king's decision, the people in the court must have been astonished. You can imagine, first they were struck in horror. And their, their expression, facial expressions changed from horror to amazement as they watched. The true mother reunited with her son. Justice was done. And people looked at the king with the fear and honor. Now, that is the summary of the story. Question for us is, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of this passage? Why did the Holy Spirit place this story in this particular place in 1 Kings chapter 3? What is the purpose? Well, is that because the author wants the audience to exalt a King Solomon's wisdom by telling this remarkable story to tell us, um, make us realize how great King Solomon was? Maybe. What is the lesson of the story? Be wise as a Solomon? Be wise? Then you, will, you can have answer to difficult questions? Is that the lesson of the story? Maybe. But I would say there's another more important purpose and the lesson. You see, the intention of the story is not to elevate Solomon per se or to make Solomon look good. Already in the chapter 3, that we already saw the warning signs of Solomon and chapter 11, we see the downfall of Solomon. The key, the very thing that author wants to say is at the very end of chapter 3. The last verse, verse 28. And all Israel heard the judgment, 
which the king had rendered, and they feared the king. Why? For they saw that the wisdom of God, not human wisdom, wisdom of God, the wisdom that doesn't exist in human, it's not in, human, in the level of human, the wisdom of God was in him to admonish, uh, administer justice. That is the key. How can this man Solomon, who, was, who previously made mistakes, like he loved the foreign women, he made alliance with Egypt, although the Lord warned that you should not go back that way, to back to Egypt. Solomon's priority was not really on the Lord. He, was, he didn't go into, get into the building. Uh, 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 he didn't really start building right away, the house of the Lord. He spent more time and resource building his own house than the temple. <coughs> Solomon is not that different from us. But how can this ordinary man make a such remarkable judgment? Because the wisdom of God was with him to administer justice. Why did, God, why did people fear? Because wisdom of God was with him, in him. And the people saw that with their own eyes. They marveled and they feared Again, I emphasize this is not a story about Solomon. And this story teaches us how indispensable God's wisdom is. When it comes to establishing the kingdom of God, securing the kingdom of God, and administering justice in the kingdom of God. Now speaking of divine, the divine wisdom, Apostle Paul says this. I mentioned that briefly in the morning too. 1 Corinthians 1.24 Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1.30 Christ became for us the wisdom of God. Another passage speaking of Solomon's greatness and his wisdom. Christ said in Matthew 12.42 the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. As Christ is talking about himself. He is greater than Solomon. He has greater wisdom than Solomon. So think about it. If Solomon judged, discerned, such an extremely difficult case with God-given given wisdom. If Solomon administers justice with God's wisdom and his kingdom prospered so much because God's wisdom in Solomon, then think about what Christ said. Indeed, a greater than Solomon is here, then how much more the kingdom of God will prosper would prosper if someone greater than Solomon administers justice. Now we are amazed by this story indeed. It's an amazing story, it is. But this, with the, with the text that Jesus gave to us, someone greater than Solomon is here with that text, it makes us think about the greater, the kingdom that the Solomon's kingdom was foreshadowing. 
the kingdom of Christ, the perfect kingdom. That there's justice, there's no tears, there's no, uh, there's no pain. How much more the kingdom would be prosper, would prosper if Jesus Christ, I mean someone greater than Solomon, administers justice. Just think about it. Let's go to the third point. God's justice and mercy. Now, I I would like to go back to the first verse, verse 16. It says, Now, at the time, and then, two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. Notice that, notice who came. Two prostitutes. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Two prostitutes. Uh, the word prostitute makes us feel very uncomfortable, and it should. And in fact, because it is very uncomfortable, uh, some people felt really uncomfortable acknowledging the fact that it was two prostitutes. So you see it in some at least in my, from my experience, personal experience, some story Bibles or children's Bibles, uh, or some, even some Bible translators, change the term in some, into something like uh, the two innkeepers, I remember, if I remember correctly, or two women. So until I went to the middle school, I didn't, I didn't really realize it was the two prostitutes. I always thought in my head it was two women standing before the king. But anyway, and I can understand the reason why. Because it's very uncomfortable. Two prostitutes. Now, keep that in your mind and let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22. The law of God. The law of Moses. Verse 22. Then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the man of her city shall stone her to death with the stones, because she, had, she has done a graceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house, so you shall put away the evil from among you. If you go to the next chapter, chapter 23, verse 17. It says, There shall be no ritual harlot of the daughters of Israel, or a perverted one of the sons of Israel. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot, or the price of a dog, to the house of the Lord your God for any vowed offering. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. Price of the dog. So you can see that Lord considers the wages of the harlot prostitute is the same level abomination as price of dog. In other words, harlots are considered as, as, as a dog. God hates prostitution, period. We just saw that in Deuteronomy 22-23. God hates it so much 
that God does not allow any prostitution in God's covenant. People stone them, God said. He doesn't want to see any women selling her their bodies for prostitution. He does not want any men to mix their bodies with harlots. He despises so much that he does not want to see the wages of the harlot in the house of God. Now, what we see in the first Kings 3 is a something that never ha- should have happened from the beginning. In a legal term, uh, there's something called, there's no jurisdiction. Uh, it's not really like jurisdiction problem, but the case is not established from the beginning. It shouldn't happen. I mean, the death of a child and the stealing of a child shouldn't have happened, no. But even before that awful accident and the crime, prostitution should never happen. And both prostitutes, according to the law of Moses, should have been executed. So regardless of the case, regardless how frustrating it is to have her child stolen, both women deserves to die. However, in our text, it doesn't say anything about these women, whether they got stoned or got executed. It doesn't say anything about that. Of course, we can speculate. Uh, perhaps after the judgment, the second woman who stole the child, who lied, probably, probably, we don't know for sure, uh, she probably was executed because of her crime and also because of her occupation. Again, we don't know that. We want to be, a little bit, we want to be very careful uh, because the Bible doesn't tell us that. All we know is that the scripture is silent on that issue. But even if she was not executed, she probably was heavily condemned by the society. Allow me to explain this way. We are these prostitutes. In God's eyes, we sinned. Idolatry. We should have perished long ago. By the strict application of the law, we should have perished long ago. Just like these prostitutes. If God had not spared and wiped out the whole race, human race, he would still be just. Canons of Dort, chapter 1, article 1. The law of Moses demands justice. But what happened? What is happening here? The king Solomon is showing mercy to the mother and the child. We see God's justice and more than that, we see God's mercy here. So when people saw the wisdom of God in him, when the wisdom of of God came into Solomon, the woman who's supposed to die, she lives, and the child lived as well. Justice administered, people fear the king, king showed mercy. Now, I said, when God's wisdom came to Solomon, 
And then in the New Testament it says, New Testament Apostle Paul equates God's wisdom with Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ came, Jesus Christ who is God's divine wisdom, when he came to this earth, his mercy was, was administered. Again, we who should have perished long ago, we are spared by his mercy. But what about justice? Again, God's infinite wisdom. Christ was judged in our place. He received the punishment that we were supposed to receive, namely death. So in the redemptive history, 1 Kings 3, we don't hear anything about the death of woman. Maybe it was intentional. The story seems to be unfinished. But we know that we are like this woman and we also know that Christ took the place of sinners and died instead. So in a sense, what was unfinished in chapter 3 of 1 Kings is finished in the New Testament. We know the answer. Why the death of, why the woman was spared in the whole redemptive history because Christ, he, woman, I mean us, He took our place. The story is complete. Now notice that the king did not receive any testimony from third-party witnesses. There was no DNA test. There's no scientific, scientific way to tell or gather any information about the crime scene. But notice that he only needs needed the wisdom of God. With the wisdom of God, he figured out He made women to speak their heart. When someone does does, uh, something wrong, what matters the most is the fact that I have not been caught. Some people just keep doing it because they've never been caught. As people say, people get courageous. No one has seen my sinful acts. No one is able to see see through my heart. So... In the Reformed Church life, have a home visits. Whenever elders come for home visit, I tell what they want to hear, making home visit very superficial. Well, elders are not like God, which is true. Human beings, we are not. People are not able to see through hearts. But what is this story telling us? Is that when Jesus Christ, who is greater than Solomon when he returns, there will be no secrets. Even now, God sees everything. God sees your hearts. What is the motivation behind you saying those things? What is the motivation behind your covering up things? The Lord sees everything. But still, God wants to show His mercy first, despite our sinful nature. So, brothers and sisters, this passage has the call to faith and call to repentance. Jesus Christ, far greater than Solomon, He wishes to show you greater mercy. See, the first woman could be very embarrassing to tell the story. 
I mean, she's a prostitute, afraid of being in public, but she had to expose her everything, rely on the judge, King Solomon, in the same way we should do so to the true wisdom of God, to Jesus Christ. Rely on Him. Tell Him the truth. And repent. And when He returns again, He will take you and His chosen ones to Himself into the joy and glory of heaven. A happy ending, just like the first woman in, this, in the first Kings chapter 3. Do you believe in Him? That's the implication. Uh, when Apostles' Creed said, He will come to judge and the living and the dead. The wisdom of God that was shown through Solomon will be, will be revealed again when he returns.